Welcome to the Equip and Ignite podcast, powered by Bill Glass Ministries. Since 1969, God has used Bill Glass Ministries to impact people from all walks of life with the gospel. Whether through evangelism training, at a citywide crusade or prison evangelism event, or just in daily life, God has connected so many people together through this ministry and the power of the good news. While just a scratch of the surface, these are some of those stories. After listening to each episode, we hope you feel encouraged, equipped, and ignited. Welcome to episode one of the Equipping Ignite podcast, powered by Bill Glass Ministries. I'm Kit Van Arsdale. Bill Glass figured out early in his ministry career that most Christians want to share their faith. They just don't feel comfortable doing it, or they don't feel like they know how to do it. So he developed a methodology that we've been using since 1972. The way it works is we train people on how to share a track, and then within 24 hours, we take them to actually share the gospel. Most of our events occur in correctional facilities, because one of the things that Bill figured out was people in crisis are more likely to make a life-changing decision than anyone else. But we don't just train people on how to share the gospel via the track and then just throw them into the prison and say, hey, go lead this person to Christ, or hey, go share with this person over here. Now, we still understand that there's a cold call aspect to evangelism that most people are very uncomfortable with. So Bill implemented what are called platform guests. Platform guests are entertainers or athletes or anybody that has a skill or a talent or a a story that's compelling that will draw inmates out to an event on a yard or in a gym. We've used everything from athletes to circus acts to elephants to skydivers, race cars, motorcycles. Anything that will draw somebody to a program will use them. The platform guests don't share the gospel. They're there just to draw people out. The platform guests will give their testimony, but they'll never present the gospel. They get to a point where they do a close. In that close, they say, if you need to make a change like I needed to make a change, or if you need to make a halftime adjustment like I needed to make a halftime adjustment, I want you to talk to one of my teammates. At that point in time, the inmate is handed off to our volunteer. Our volunteer then shares the track. Sometimes it's received, sometimes it's not. But the fact is, a teammate may have just shared the gospel for the first time. And what we see is, we see those volunteers, those teammates, are now energized and empowered to share the gospel outside the walls. Keith Davis is one of our longtime platform guests. He's been coming with us since the mid-1990s. Keith grew up in South Central L.A., pretty difficult place to be a kid. But God gave him physical abilities that led him to play football for the University of Southern California and ultimately the New York Giants. After a stint with the Giants, Keith became a motivational speaker. He speaks to kids, football teams, corporations, and beyond all over the world. He takes a message of hope to them just like he does to the inmates. Keith is always a lot of fun to talk to. Here's our interview with Keith Davis. Can you kind of give me a... A synopsis of Keith Davis's life through high school. Up until high school, or yeah, at, through high school, through high school. Before before you walked onto the campus at USC, okay. What was life for Keith Davis? Sure. So um, before I walked on the campus at USC, I'd come through some tremendous uh, challenges. As I look back on it, so. I was born and raised in the inner city of Los Angeles, California, which is hard enough in itself. 
considering the part of LA that I grew up in. And then, which is what? What part was that? So that would be considered the Crenshaw area, okay. or they and generalized it back then. They would just say all of that was South Central LA, but sure. it's considered Crenshaw. It's a very rough area because it's just lots of uh, gang activity, lots of drug activity, lots of violence, lots of everything going on. And then I had some issues going on in my home from the time I was a child. So my father. Uh, I think he started off as a good guy, kind of got involved in, you know, buying and selling drugs and abusing and all of these different things. My father ended up committing suicide when I was four years old. Um, they actually found his body here in Midland, Texas, which probably was along a route that he was transporting from L.A. to Memphis, uh, something like that. But that being said, um, my mother was left kind of destitute, no money, no hope, anything. And my mom... Uh, eventually began to drink and uh, she get high a little bit as well. But then she led her life led into some abusive relationships, very abusive boyfriends that she let move in with us, which were abusive, not only to her, to me uh, physically in terms of just would beat my mom uh, to the point where I thought he was going to murder her. And the guy was a very brutal man um he ended up murdering the next woman he moved in with after he left us for about after six years and then he had a brother who murdered one of my aunts so i'm just setting the tone to let you know how abusive he was that being said so my my challenge in school because i was a kid who always loved football but wasn't a great athlete i was kind of a chubby kid uh but i love football but i had this challenge because i kept going from school to school to school so by the time I was at age 15, I was in by my 18th school, I think. Um, a funny story that led to me going to a high school, uh, which eventually led to me getting a scholarship at USC, was that um, prior to me going to high school, uh, I was uh, going. I was set to go to the school that's in my neighborhood because it's mandatory that you go to the school within your district, within Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So I was supposed to go to Los Angeles High School. Uh, terrible facilities, terrible team, terrible everything, and then you're in the middle of whatever side of the gang, and and there's shootouts and stuff, which I had got caught up in one time, just you know on the ground, there's shooting things going on. So I came home in our little kind of raggedy apartment on the street that we lived on. It always had you know ten, twenty, thirty guys up and down the street selling these drugs, and I was just in our little. Um, apartment in my room uh, just crying and I just couldn't stop the tears they were just rolling out of my eyes like like a river and um, and I was just crying as a as a 15 year old saying why was I born here why do I have to why do I live why was I born in this family why was I born here why do I have to live in this neighborhood why do I have to live in this house why do I have to go to this school why 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 so early in the morning the next morning I just got up and I was 15, and I just walked for about 20 minutes to the bus stop. And I just got on the bus. They call it the blue bus that takes you west. And this bus, as you go west in Los Angeles, the neighborhoods get better and better and better because you get closer and closer to places like Brentwood, uh, Beverly Hills, and then eventually the beach. So the bus got to Beverly Hills on Roxbury Boulevard, which is not far from Rodeo Drive. And... Uh, I got off the bus, and as I got off the bus, I began to walk, and as I looked to my right and to my left, I, I saw a beautiful mansion, and uh, I wrote the address down. 
and I just kept walking. This is a true story. And uh, about five minutes, I ended up at Beverly Hills High School, and I walked into the high school, into the admissions office, and I said, I need to enroll in school. And they looked at me, and you could imagine, you know, high class school and everything. And, and I looked like I was from Crenshaw, you know, and um, and they said, where do you live? And I just looked at the little address I had written down, and I said, I live so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> God, oh, I just hoped I really did hope I lived there. So they they knew I didn't live there, but they asked me for proof. But I live there, you know. <laughs> So they wouldn't let me enroll in school, and this was just my hope of going, to, you know, to a better school and get a better opportunity. But I didn't go home that day. I just ended up walking back to the bus stop and got on the bus and just rolled west a little bit further. A couple of other schools that tried the same thing. Uh, at the end of the day, you you end up at the last stop, which is the beach. You know, so once you're at the beach, you have the Pacific Ocean, and your next stop is Japan. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I was at the beach, um, but uh, there's a school about two blocks from the beach um, called Santa Monica High School. And uh, I uh, this school had a very, very good team, very good facilities. Uh, several players have gone to USC and UCLA. Several players have gone to the NFL from the school. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm going to enroll in this school. And... Uh, but I had got wiser as I my time in trying to use these fake addresses. So I knew they would ask for a proof of address. So I had a, one of my friends who played Little League football with me. Uh, he lived in Santa Monica. Believe it or not, Santa Monica is a very high-dollar area. But there's always been and has always been uh, one section of town that was predominantly black. And so my friend lived in that area. But I asked, So I went and asked his mother if I could use her electricity bill. She gave me an electricity bill. I went and enrolled myself in school. And then every day I would catch the bus for over an hour to get there and an hour to get home. Wow. And uh, it really changed my life, you know. Uh, and I only share that because I think in just in the relevance uh, in the time that we're in and people are talking about, you know, different issues. And one of them is, you know, are things systemic or not systemic, you know, racism. So I, I say to them. You know, had I not, had I just followed the system that was set for me, you know, every young man on my street, except for one, ended in prison, hmm. you know. And I said, the school that I was in, I said, it had over a 50% dropout rate because, I mean, the school that I was supposed to go to, because a lot of those schools are dropout factories. They say, why is it a dropout factory? Well, the way teacher unions go is you can't fire teachers per se after so much time. So the really good teachers, all the schools want to hire them. So the really bad teachers, no one wants to hire them. So they send all those teachers to these these schools, right, right. which is the ones I had to go to. And uh, so I'm so thankful that God at a young age put some desire or hunger in me just to want more, to strive for more, to go for more. Uh, it opened the door and gave me a great opportunity Um so I ended up going to the University of Southern Cal. and uh, So before you got there, yeah. at, at what point in time did you recognize you had, uh, you were athletically and football minded above most people? At what point in time did you realize you had a gift? So uh, I think that would have been maybe, um, I don't know if it would have been um, 
and I'm sorry for my pausing. Uh, my pausing is only because, you know, I don't know if that came around eighth grade or not, because my body didn't really begin to develop until I got about the ninth grade. Okay. And then all of a sudden I realized that I was like extremely strong compared to other kids. So do you think the football IQ came before? The athletic yeah. IQ? Yeah, no, athletic I think I think you know, I just think I always liked football, but I think I think the the realization that wow, you man, you can run fast, you're bigger and you're stronger and faster, and so you just want to play. And then just the desire to get out. I just wanted I just wanted to get out of where I lived. I just sure. wanted to be in a different place. And uh, um so just a backstory to that, I think with the athletic ability, uh <laughs> Believe it or not, you know, as this time we're sharing about what God has done in our life, I just want to kind of even go back before USC as well, how seeds are sown and certain people who are listening to this have an opportunity to sow seed in people's lives that they don't even know. So there was a there was a Christian school that I went to for about four months, which is really interesting uh, in the journey of all these whatever, you know, 18 different schools. And... Um, in Los Angeles, they have they had weight limits for you to play mm-hmm. uh, little league football because they don't have f- football in the schools. You have to play for the rec league or the park league until you get to high school. Right. That being said, um, I was too big, you know, to fit within the weight limits. I was just too big, you know. I was I used to like eating cornbread, collard greens, fried <laughs> chicken, yams, macaroni and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff my grandma and my mom would cook. Anyway, that being said, um, so there was a, a coach who had previously played for Grambling University, which was a big deal back then because on the West Coast, we didn't know a lot about HBCUs or historically yeah. black colleges and universities, but Grambling is a very famous one. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of you know black players would come out of those schools and go to the pros before you know colleges were integrated. And that being said, he he was a coach at a, a, a small Christian school out in the valley, and he got this head job. And what he did was he connected with one of our our, our little league coaches, and he began to I don't want to say recruit because really what he was doing was giving opportunities. Hmm. Um, he began to to bring a lot of kids from the city. Out to the valley, when I say the valley, it's probably like a 45-minute drive out to this little school. So all of a sudden, we had a lot of players from L.A. coming to this little school, uh, you know, because he could recruit because it was a private school. And um, and so that's where, um, you know, I began, as you asked about the athletic ability to see, like, wow, how – because I was really begin, becoming really muscular – really fast, really big. But in terms of the seed, he was a very committed Christian man. So he always would share the word of God with us, which was new to me. I hadn't even heard of any of the things that he was sharing before. And then there was uh, something about when your peers are sharing with you as well. So we had one player on the team who was who was old. He was When I say he was old, I think he was at the limit of your high school age either 18 and a half or 19 years old, you know, because it, it was his last year in high school. But he had done some time in juvenile hall. He had got arrested. He used to be a gang member, but God had totally transformed his life. But he was extremely fast, extremely buffed out, and extremely strong. And uh, But he loved God with all of his heart. And uh, 
he would just hit the corner and he could just fly. I'd never seen a guy move so quick. And uh, and he was very dark skinned. So we gave him a nickname, Uh-oh. Smoke. <laughs> <laughs> that was his nickname, Smoke. <laughs> but he, he would just share with me. Uh, and I just thought it was a you know, it was just amazing how the fruit really didn't come at that time, but it came later because I just remember that, you know. But, uh, you know, so all of these these journeys have led as God was bringing people and pouring into my life. And it's just really unique experiences that as I look back, he was kind of directing and causing people to sow seed like Coach Plaisance and, you know, like my friend Frankie or Smoke and, you know, all these times where it was, you know, the the unique way that God will cause people to share, you know, God's word with you. So, so, so when did when did God really get a hold of you? When did you make that decision to give your life to God? Yeah. So, uh, just a little backstory as well, and um, um, just kind of to bring up some issues again. I just. It, it's along the questions that you're asking, but it's just amazing at the time that we're, you know, doing this podcast, what's going on. So basically what happened was my mother, uh, she had, like I said, really was struggling in her life, you know, not only in her relationships and what she was doing and just some different things like this. Her life was totally transformed. When she came into the saving knowledge of Christ, it was a transformation like I had never seen before. And I didn't know what was happening because I didn't understand spiritual things. I didn't understand that if any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new, as Second Corinthians 5.17 says. I didn't know any of that. So the backstory on it is my mother went to a funeral. Basically, I had a cousin who uh, was killed. So my whole family was at this funeral, but I didn't go to the funeral. For whatever reason, I don't know if I had something going on or football or something. And um, the gentleman who was sharing at the funeral, the pastor, was a unique and dynamic guy because he was a young pastor, maybe in his 30s, um, but very educated and very charismatic, very vibrant. Um, He gave an invitation at this funeral. And at that funeral, my mother... And my mother had about seven sisters, but I think, you know, four or five of them gave their lives to the Lord that day at the funeral. And people think, okay, it's at a funeral, you know, maybe you just don't want to die and go to hell. No, no, no. When my mother came home, she was like a different person. And it didn't really click until about a week later um, because our, our home went from total confusion to incredible peace and serenity. You know, her life went from total disarray to order. God says, I do everything decent and in order. And it was just amazing. I remember being like 15 and coming in the house and watching. And so I was in so, I was, I was so um, aware of what was happening, but didn't understand it. So I go to my sister who was a little younger than me and her, her name was Didi. And I said, hey, Didi, I said, Didi, what, what happened to mom? Like, what, what happened to her? Because it was not the same person in this body, you know. It was just like the Spirit of God. It was just 
change in her life. There was no 12 step program. There was no, you know, um, drug and alcohol abuse counselor or whatever. It was just God's spirit just changing. My mom had been getting high for years and drink for years. It just immediately just stopped. You know, everything just changed. And the atmosphere in our home changed, even though we were living in these little raggedy apartments, you know, but everything was confusion on the outside, but our home had peace. It was really interesting. That being said, um, she began to really, really pray for me. I know she did because things began to just happen that were kind of weird, you know, to me. So I would be hanging out with all of these young dudes on the streets. They were my buddies and we'd be on the bus going somewhere. And everybody's hanging out, acting wild, doing whatever they're doing. And then somebody would get on the bus, and the only one they would come talk to would be me. <laughs> and they would just share the gospel with me, you know. And I'd be walking on the street, and we're hanging out. You imagine eight, ten dudes just acting crazy, and then somebody would come up and give me a gospel track. You know, it was That's just stuff that was just happening. So that being said, um, my mom would always ask me if I wanted to go to church with her, and I was like, no, nah, I don't. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I never wanted to go because, first of all, in the West Coast, uh, Pacific Standard Time, the NFL started around 8 in the morning, you know, right. not like 10 or 11 here. Right. And so I would always watch watch the NFL. And, uh, and But one time I had a Sunday night service or something, so I ended up going with my mom and and uh, this church. Uh, they would just worship God, and he preached the word. And it wasn't like a religion religious kind of atmosphere we just preach it was so relevant and as i was listening it was just god was just transforming me you know how you you know he says behold i stand at the door and knock and if any man hear my voice and open the door i will come in and sup with him and then with me and so it was like i was just hearing this silent voice and selling me telling me to get my life right with god get my life right with god so i made that decision i think i was about 16 years old and it really um it was really a unique experience for me because, again, it was something that was so new and so powerful. A lot of people have had experience where I kind of grew up in church and I knew and now, you know, I'm making this decision. But that wasn't me. And so, you know, God was so real. It was so real. So even being in high school, people would ask me or do certain things. But to me, it was just so real. And as I begin to pray God was like not only answering my prayers but showing me that he was with me and um so I just had a strong you know conviction and connection with the Lord you know at that young age wow that's amazing yeah so it's great all right so USC comes after you yeah so uh, you walk onto campus there yeah so um you know I get I was a highly recruited linebacker uh around the nation uh ended up going to USC uh you know, I don't. It wasn't that I wanted to stay home. I really wanted to leave Los Angeles, but you know, USC was so good and so you know so much history and tradition. And, and then, uh, like I said, so many players from my team had were going to USC, and so I go there. Uh, and it's true, as the Bible says, that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, because I could see how God was ordering my steps there. And uh, as I got there, I was a freshman, and um, <clears throat> I had a broken wrist. Uh, I had broke my wrist in high school, so I had a cast on my arm, um, and it kind of went up to my elbow. Uh, and from this broken wrist, that would not heal. 
they tried everything on this wrist. I had this cast on for six or seven months, something crazy like that. And at night, I had to sleep with this electronic stimulator to try to just get this wrist to heal. It would not heal. So I was I was kind of practicing, but I couldn't practice all the way because I had this cast on. Um, and I'm a freshman. And as I'm walking in a locker or down through the areas of the locker room, there's this big white guy comes up to me. And um, I didn't know he was the team chaplain at the time. He had, he was a former player at USC. His name was Tom Sarotnik. And he comes up to me and he says, hey, champ. <laughs> he said, God's been doing a lot of good stuff. Through him, he said, you mind if I, I pray for your, your 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 arm, you know, your wrist? I was like, yeah, man. You know, I, didn't, I was open to it, right? So I thought he was going to go home and pray for me. I didn't know he was going to, like, sit me down and pray right there you know so i was looking around i'm like this guy's praying for my for my for my arm but the craziest craziest thing was probably two days later because we had a game coming up maybe that week where you were playing university of florida and i wasn't gonna be able to play or anything and the doctor like looks at the thing and tells me like the bone finally merged and like my my arm is I was just, I was amazed. I, was, I, I didn't, you know, I was amazed. So they took this cast off, and uh, and I only share that. That's my introduction to how our team chaplain. And so when I got to USC, we had a very, very strong uh, ministry. It wasn't strong in terms of numbers at first. It was a very small group, maybe four or five players, but very, very powerful a man of God who would just share the word with us and disciple us and everything like that. And it became a dynamic move of God on the team because we begin to share with others and begin to share the light and pray for the team. And, and so I keep a picture in my phone to this day of a Rose Bowl picture of somebody who had climbed to the top and took a picture before the game and us having you know, team prayer. So it used to be four or five of us in a circle and we pray. And this picture shows about 80 players wow. in the team. Wow. You know, I remember as a sophomore, you know, our coach wouldn't let us have organized Bible study some time, but we just give word, hey, we have a Bible study in, in our room because, you know, we travel and we have a hotel room. And I mean, and I didn't even know the Bible that well, but I knew enough to kind of share a little bit. And right. all of a sudden, you just see droves of players coming packing into this hotel room all of our defensive backs and d-linemen and big ugly buffed out dudes and guys in there sweating and then we're sharing and dudes are crying and dudes are getting saved it was just a move of god as you look back now you know and uh so the holy spirit was moving and um it was a, just a very powerful time just spiritually as I share that, and then we had a great team. I mean, some good teams. We ended up winning some Rose Bowls uh, here and there, and and then God did a significant work with me academically because as I began to read the Word of God, I began to be able to read better. Uh, I came there as a remedial student. I came with a lot of academic challenges, and uh, and I went from you know the bottom academically to graduating the very very top. Uh, I was a Scholar Award of Honor. Uh, had the team's highest grade point average. Uh, I was the dean's list, academic All-American nominee. All of these things I attribute to God's word, just giving me wisdom beyond my you know, beyond my years. As He says, His word will make you wiser 
than your teachers. And that was like really true in my case. So, All right. So when yeah. did you know the NFL was looking at you? So uh, basically, as you go to um, at USC, they, they all come. Every mm-hmm. single team shows up there every year. Uh, and they have a day where all of the scouts are looking at you and everything like that. Um, but I had some injuries. I had a you know very bad. Um, I had just a couple of injuries that I had an ankle, I had a knee, I had this and that. So I had some things that kind of hindered me. Um, but I, the the Giants liked me because I was a big linebacker. And at this time, the NFL is a very different game now. I mean, this is thirty five years, thirty years ago. Right. But they had you know really big, strong linebackers, and so. Uh, I didn't get drafted. I was a free agent, but they signed me, you know, based on me being kind of fitting the mold in which they play. And obviously, I didn't play uh, long there. I only played a few games, but it was just a unique time. Um, and who would have known that in the few months that I was there, because um, I think, you know, whatever, I got signed in April and I was there all the way through September, a couple of games. And, that the coaches and players and teammates were all like Hall of Famers. That I don't think that really happens that often. So, uh, you know, I had teammates like Lawrence Taylor and Harry Carson, Hall of Famers, uh, you know, Carl Banks and Pepper Johnson. And so, uh, and then my linebacker coach and defensive coordinator was Coach Bill Belichick, which is, you know, kind of like historic in history, one of the greatest coaches. And then, a Hall of Fame coach, Bill Parcells. And so it was just a interesting place, I think, that God allowed me to be, you know, to give me a little bit of platform to speak. Because I could have went to the Cincinnati Bengals, which who cares, you know, <laughs> or, <laughs> or some team like that, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was just, you know, he gave me that opportunity and I, I just used it to uh, share and give hope and, um, so, and I mean, to this day, it's been been a good experience. So, all right. So, how did you get uh, matched up with Bill Glass? How did you get involved with that? So, with Bill Glass, uh, I was speaking and and ministering and uh, doing those type of things pretty much since college. You know, I would always go share at some of the local churches and some of the schools and different things like that. And um, just because of the ministry I had been brought up in, you know, my church and then also my team chaplain. So one night I was speaking in uh, Carrollton, Texas at First Baptist Church, and uh, I was a guest speaker that evening, and uh, there was a man in the audience who was one of uh, Bill's main organizers. His name was George Huey. (laughs) (laughs) And after I shared, he just came up to me and asked me that phenomenal question. He says, how would you like to go to prison? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought... I said, yeah, I'd like to go to prison. I said, you know, I said, I've had family members in prison. And I said, I, I said I'd love to be a part of it. So he invited me. Uh, but his first invitation actually wasn't to prison. It was back when Bill was still doing these citywide crusades. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is interesting because just the other day, Bill and I were sitting at the table sharing, you know, the story of how he and I first were formally introduced, Bill mm-hmm. and I. So uh, we're doing a citywide, Bill was doing a citywide crusade, and I, I, I was asked to be, uh, I think he would have a guest, you know, testimony, you know, five-minute testimony before he came on to preach or something like that. Right. 
So um, the little city that this uh, citywide crusade was happening in, um, I, I came earlier that day and I ended up speaking in the school that day. So I spoke in the middle school and the high school and uh, that day and maybe even elementary. I'm not sure. All I know is so by the time we got to the crusade that night, which was outside at a football stadium and the whole city was there, droves of kids were there. Like they were all there to see me. You know, they were because I invited them. I said, hey, I'm going to be speaking tonight. And you got it. I mean, these weren't church kids either. You know, <laughs> they were just rambunctious, you know, running around, loud, rough kids. It was just, it was just loads of them. Though they were everywhere, you know. <laughs> and uh, you can imagine uh, anybody who knows, you know, you know, he has his committees, and they have their volunteers, and the volunteers are. You know, nice church people who are, they're trying to get these kids to calm down and maybe sit down somewhere and they're running, you know, and it's, and it wasn't just all black. There was some black, some white, they were rural, they were just all over the place. And so, uh, and then a lot of them were like up in the front, like right where Bill was supposed to be preaching, but there was a kind of open grass area. They were all over the place and, and they were all just, and Bill was like, no, 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 no. Leave him. Let him. Let him. You know. Let him. He loved it, right? He he just sure. he just loved it, and and everybody was just kind of amazed, and um, you know. So I shared my testimony, and then uh, then Bill came up and preached, and I think a lot of those kids got saved that evening, I bet and they uh, did. and it was a very powerful evening, and uh, you know. So that's the first encounter I had with Bill Glass. That probably was like I don't know, maybe nineteen ninety eight or something like that, hmm. and. Uh, and then from then they invited me to prison and then some of the school things that Bill was doing. And it's just been an ongoing relationship ever since that time, which has been just very fruitful. Prisons, not only in the United States, but uh, I've got a chance with the Behind the Walls ministry to do prisons in South Africa and Peru and uh, Brazil and England and Scotland and everywhere you can imagine. So it's just, it's been a great, great, great it's been a great partnership uh, with the ministry here. So Any specific uh, prison events that stand out? Maybe there's a one that you just that just. So one of the, one of the ones I, I just love and think about. Maybe a lot of people don't know about is uh, we were doing a, uh, an incredible prison event in 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 Peru in Lima, Peru. So. Uh, for those who don't know, one of the largest prisons in the whole of all of South America is in Peru. It's, I think it's called Lurigancho, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but uh, there are approximately 13,000 men in this one prison. And what makes foreign prisons different than uh, American prisons or Western civilization prisons, Western world uh, prisons, is that it's... It's interesting because when you go, they don't have like prison uniforms. There's no jumpsuits, no orange jumpsuits are all white. It's just whatever you got arrested in, that's what you're in. And so you'll see guys just, I have a picture of me speaking and you know, one guy has one shoe on and no other shoes. Some have no shoes because they don't have any shoes. Unless your family brings you shoes, you get shoes. If your family brings you clothes, you get new clothes. If they don't, you don't. 
And then you see guys like scrapping for food because there's not really like a formal feeding time. They just eat what they can and families bring them food and it's really interesting. So you can imagine 13,000 men and uh, Murph the Surf has set this event up with the prison officials and so we were in this prison and uh, now they were not all at one time. They basically have it where you, um, they basically have it where you, they're segmented, you know, so there's several thousand at each in each segment, and uh, we were um, we were just preaching and sharing, and it was so powerful. The only reason I'm remembering this event because I remember after about a three day event, the numbers totaled up, and we saw seven thousand men give their life to the Lord for the first time. You know, wow. so wow. it's just very powerful. I mean, and there's still pictures around the ministry of that event, mm-hmm. but. 7,000 men, and many of them had not heard the gospel before. Many of them, it was just, talk about bringing, you know, just hope and bringing life. And, you know, you just think about the angel when, when the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice over one soul, one person that decides your life. So you got this event where you have 7,000 men, men, you know, just rough men, right? Just give their lives to the Lord, and uh, it was just such a powerful event, and I, I, I'll never forget that one. And the funny thing about that is as we were preaching each day in the prisons, they had us in the front page of the newspapers each day. So, um, And it was all in Spanish, obviously, so uh, I think I still have the article, but one front page article had me, a picture of me preaching and sharing, and then it said, uh, <clears throat> so... Uh, I think the title of it was Gigante en Negro, you know, something like, you know, uh, something Goliath, Gigante Negro, right? The black Goliath, you know, that's what they call me. <laughs> so, so it was just really funny, you know, it was a great time, a great time. So if somebody asked you why they should get involved in, in Bill Glass Ministries, what would your answer be to that? Uh, I would just say you want to be involved in what God is involved in. Period. And what I mean by that is, um, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, so I'm I'm filming this, or we're, we're recording this podcast in Dallas. So many people who grew up in Dallas, you know, if the owner of the Cowboys came and said, hey, I want you to get involved with our team. You know, I want you to go where, where, where we're going and be where we're, you know, I want you on the sidelines with us. And, you know, it'd be like people would jump at the opportunity. You know, I want you to work with us. You know, when the excitement's going, I want you to be there with us. And so the Lord said the same thing. He was like, you know, when I was in prison, you came to visit me. This is what he's doing, right? He says, and when I was hungry, you came to feed me, you know. Uh, when I was the, so, so, so visiting those in prison is, is what God is doing. It's like Bill said, there's some things you don't even need to pray about. I'm going to repeat that. There are some things that you don't really need to pray about because he's already said it. He made it as clear as could be. I don't need to pray, God, is it your will? No, it's it's not only even in the Bible for those who have, everybody looks at their phone now for the Bible, but for those who have like the old Bible where you open it up and they have the red letter print, when Jesus speaks, it's in red, it's in red letters. He's like, 
when <laughs> you know to visit those in prison you know uh to share the good news to go to give hope so i think it's that that's just my exhortation is just to be where god is because god is moving and and many times we have church and church services uh but it's something about being in a place where you find people who are hungry and thirsty not only for food and clothing but for the gospel and i think this is is a unique place and i think everybody is is equipped to do it you know most people think well i don't know you know i don't know the bible i don't know no no if if you're available God will use you, you know. In Isaiah chapter 6, uh, it's a very powerful verse. Uh, he says, and the Lord says, and whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, mm-hmm. you know, send me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's that should be our heart, you know, God, here am I, send me, you know, use me. So Great. Anyway, that's my exhortation for the people. I want to thank Keith Davis for being episode one of this podcast. In future episodes, we'll hear from platform guests, board members, teammates, staff, and even the man himself, Bill Glass. Be on the lookout for the next episode of the Equipping Ignite podcast, powered by Bill Glass Ministries. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Equip and Ignite podcast, powered by Bill Glass Ministries. We hope that you've been encouraged by another story of God working in an amazing way. Our desire is that you walk away from each and every episode empowered to allow the Holy Spirit to use you for His glory as you work out your faith every day. If you're interested in learning more, getting involved, or supporting Bill Glass Ministries, check out our website at BehindTheWalls.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Bill Glass Behind the Walls and Instagram at BGBTW. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Equip and Ignite podcast, powered by Bill Glass Ministries.